You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. It's crossover preview day here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and in just a few minutes, I'll be joined by Aaron Freeman, the host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, and I'll gain his perspective on the Falcons and Sunday's matchup against the Buffalo Bills. But first, a quick newsy item. The Bills got some good news on Wednesday. They activated Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, John Feliciano, and A.J. Epinesa from the COVID list and courtesy of the new CDC guidelines that were adopted by the NFL, they were able to get a couple of these players back a lot sooner than anticipated. And so Beasley, Davis, Feliciano, Epinesa back on the roster and on track to play on Sunday. BetOnline has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as the NFL season continues its march to the playoffs. BetOnline is your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Check out their newly updated website and sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive that offer. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and Bet Online is where the game starts. Do you appreciate a well executed defensive strategy? Of course you do. You're a Bills fan. Just as important as your defensive line is your defensive strategy against thick guacamole. Don't settle for weak chips that can't hold the line. Grab Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, the 6 4. 260-pound linebacker of chips. And folks, we've all been there. You've had a great bowl of dip in front of you, whether that's artichoke dip or buffalo chicken dip or guacamole, and you're dipping your tortillas into it and they snap in half. Well, that doesn't happen with Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, and they taste delicious. These things are perfectly seasoned, and they have the perfect mixture of crunch and texture. They are phenomenal. And look, they don't break, and the reason why is because every chip is trained to successfully deliver the perfect crunchy guac-filled bite, and that's because they're actually cut and fried from tortillas and grown from organic flint corn in the Buffalo, Rochester area. So pick up a bag at your local Wegmans or Whole Foods Market today and say no to weak and crappy tortilla chips forever. Joe Marino of Locked On Bills, joined now by Aaron Freeman, the host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, here to get us ready for the upcoming game between the Bills and Falcons on Sunday. And Aaron, as I've done some work on this Falcons team in preparation for our conversation today, as well as the game on Sunday, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, this is a team that is in year one of a new head coach and general manager combination. The roster needs work, but this team is 7-8, and eight and they're very much alive in the NFC playoff picture entering Week 17. And when you study this team, you look at the metrics, they slot pretty poorly in a lot of key areas. And so what is the explanation in terms of the contributing factors that has this team at a respectable record, 
and in position to very much make a run at being the six or seven seed in the NFC when you factor in all of the circumstances surrounding this Atlanta Falcons team. Well, that's been a frequent topic of conversation on, on Locked on Falcons. What is sort of this team's reason for success? I, I point to them having a soft schedule. Uh, they have the weakest schedule based off of wins and losses this season uh, so far. Uh, and they've basically been able to, outside of the two division wins that they have, basically been able to take advantage of some lesser teams, several other teams that you're aware of, uh, Joe, that uh, play in your division. I know Miami has turned things around in their season, but at the point when the Falcons played them, they were really struggling. Obviously, they've gotten wins against the Jets, wins against the Giants, wins against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, and so it's one of those situations where I think the Falcons have taken advantage of some of the soft teams on their schedule and been able to win games and particularly close out those close games, a problem that the Falcons had uh, in previous years under previous regimes in sort of winning those close games. So testament to this new coaching staff for being able to finish much better than the previous regimes have. But when you've seen this team go up against teams like potentially a team like Buffalo, other quality teams so far this season, they haven't been particularly competitive. And you sort of, I'm sure you're aware of, of the various graphics that are floating around there that basically show the Falcons based off of their point differential or, you know, you look at their football outsiders DVOA uh, rankings that they are like basically one of the worst teams in recent history in certain categories that has won this many games. So I don't want to sit here and say that the Falcons success is based off of luck, but I think they have gotten the benefit of, you know, having a lucky draw facing some of these teams that are struggling a little bit more than they have and been able to take advantage of and pad uh, their win total this year. Uh, wins are wins. You know, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from with the with the schedule, but for a coaching staff in year one to be able to go out there and try to implement this culture and this vision moving forward, it's got to be such a big benefit to be able to win some football games and exceed some of those expectations to really help drive home the messaging and you know lead this organization moving forward, which leads me to the next question that I have for you, which is about Arthur Smith, a the new head coach in Atlanta, 15 games into his tenure. He was a big-time candidate. A lot, of, a lot of places wanted to interview him, and Atlanta landed this guy, a hotshot coordinator from Tennessee. What stands out to you most in terms of what you've learned about Arthur Smith through 15 games as the head coach of the Falcons? I think some of the things that we've learned about Arthur Smith is there's certain elements of his offense that are positive. There's certain elements that haven't necessarily grown or, or showcase themselves to be where we want them to be. He wants to be a physical run, you know, balanced or let's say balanced offense. And unfortunately, the Falcons have not been able to really achieve that. They've been much better running the football over the last month than they were earlier in the season. So you're starting to see this offense look a little bit more like the style of offense that I think Arthur Smith wants to achieve. You've seen some success with some players like Cordero Patterson having a, a breakout year, Kyle Pitts obviously having a historic season, a rookie season for a tight end. And you're also seeing players like Russell Gage really uh, come on strong over the last four to six weeks since he's had to sort of step in to that number one receiver role in lieu of Calvin Ridley stepping away from the game to deal with his mental health issues. So there are positives when it comes to Arthur Smith and what we've seen from this offense, but you're, you're still 
wanting a little bit more. Uh, Matt Ryan is not necessarily having a productive year. We've seen some flashes from him earlier in the season. Uh, you know, whether that's a coincidence that they happen to be games, uh, or at least most of those games happen to be games that Calvin Ridley uh, was playing in. You know, you wonder how much of a factor that is in, in losing Julio Jones, how much of a factor that is in terms of Matt Ryan taking a step back this year. You were hoping to see, you know, Matt Ryan have this kind of renaissance to his career after a couple of lackluster seasons under, you know, the, the final years of Dan Quinn, uh, similar to what Arthur Smith was able to do with Ryan Tannehill. You're not really getting that. So you kind of hope that next year, once he's a little bit more comfortable in the offense, and we've seen Matt Ryan with new offensive coordinators, whether that was Kyle Shanahan, Dirk Cutter, or, or Steve Sarkeesian kind of struggle in year one with a new offensive coordinator and then really put it on in year two. So that's kind of what you're hoping. You're hoping, you know, next year with Calvin Ridley coming back, hopefully, uh, and Kyle Pitts, you know, being even better in year two than he was in year one. Uh, in addition to, if you can, you know, really solve this issue that the Falcons have in the trenches and, you know, building up that ground game that a lot of the things that Arthur Smith wants to implement could start to come together for them in 2022, but we just haven't necessarily seen that consistently in 2021. Seems like a lot of the talk, regarding Atlanta this week as the Bills prepare to take them on are two of these very unique talents that they have on offense. You mentioned both of them already. Cordero Patterson, who's this do-everything type player that's so dangerous with the ball in his hands, and then Kyle Pitts, who is just an alien, right? A very special talent. He's having a big year. He's probably going to top 1,000 yards for the season on Sunday, which is an extremely rare feat for a rookie tight end. And so would love to hear more from you about how Atlanta weaponizes these players and you know what's making them so unique and, and so productive this year. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily super creative ways of, of finding ways to get them the ball. It's just, you know, get them the football and let them cook, you know, specifically with Cordero Patterson. A lot of his production, particularly in the passing game, is, you know, checkdowns, uh, a hitch route, a screen here. Just get him the football and let him do the things that we've seen him do many, many times over the years as a kick returner when he has the ball in his hand and make plays after the catch. You're also seeing him uh, be split out wide from time to time and, and running some fade balls, some deep routes and whatnot. And he's made plays uh, showing showcasing those wide receiver skills that made him one of the top picks in that, what, 2013 draft class way back in the day. Uh, so, it, you know, for Patterson, a lot of it is just being able to utilize him not only as a running back, but also in the slot and out wide uh, and getting him opportunities and getting him reps that he wasn't necessarily getting with other teams in previous stops. And with Kyle Pitts, as you say, you know, he's a unicorn. A lot of his snaps have come as a more as a wide receiver than a true inline tight end with about 80% of his snaps coming from the slot or being split out wide uh, on passing downs. And so essentially he's functioning as a six foot six, 230 plus pound slot receiver. Uh, and you know, with his skill set, and I, I know you're well aware of this, Joe, given your, you know, extensive knowledge of the draft with what you do with the draft network, et cetera, uh, and in the draft dudes podcast, and you just know how gifted a, a player he is. And you've seen that show up time and time again, uh, this year with, you know, these spectacular highlight grabs that you sit here and say, it's incredible. You made a, a big play against the Lions last week on a go ball uh, where he just basically reached out with one hand and and made this, you know, really easy catch over the shoulder. And it, we, he's done that a number of times. And you just see the, the talent jump off the screen from time to time. The only real knock on, on Kyle Pitts uh, right now is it's just not consistently seeing that each and every week. But you're getting these flashes. And, you know, that comes with the territory of being 
a rookie tight end, you know this, that, you know, that's a position that takes some time for guys to transition to the league. So it's not a surprise that Kyle Pitts it can be a little bit up and down and there can be maybe a stretch of a game where he's not necessarily impacting, you know, down in and down out or whatever the case may be. And that's one of the expectations that you're hoping in year two, you'll start to see that more consistently. So the the, the flashes and the talent jump off the screen uh, just in the future. We hope to see that talent jump off the screen, you know, every single down, every single series, every single week. Aaron, I want to ask you about the defense, but before I get there, I, I want to get one more in about the offense because I was a little surprised learning that Matt Ryan is not working the ball down the field at all. I mean, only 7% of his attempts are 20-plus yards down the field, which is by far the lowest in the NFL. But when he does push the ball down the field, he's having a ton of success. The best passer rating in the NFL, 121.7 on passes that are aimed 20-plus yards down the field and the third-highest completion percentage. So they're not doing it a lot, but it's certainly working when they are. I'm guessing you're going to tell me it's protection issues because I know that that's been, a, been an issue for Atlanta all year long, but certainly something that is part of Matt Ryan's toolbox. They're just not using it. Yeah, uh, you nailed it. It's, it's mostly related to the protection, um, and the offensive line has been – you know, the, the kindest way of saying it is in, inconsistent uh, when it comes to holding up. And that has led a lot more to the Falcons, you know, working the short and intermediate portion of the field. But as you say, when Matt Ryan has been able to push the ball down the field, he has been very effective this year in large part due to being able to target playmakers like Kyle Pitts and, and Cordero Patterson. And you're still getting, you know, production from players like Alameda Zacchaeus and Russell Gage, who aren't guys that are, you know, traditionally known to be vertical threats, but they have made a number of plays down the field this year uh, for their quarterback. And so, you know, early in the season, Matt Ryan was kind of struggling, pushing the ball down the field in part due to the protection issues and being a little bit off with his accuracy and underthrowing players. But, you know, basically since like week four or week five and on, He's been, you know, lights out. Anytime he does push the ball down the field, uh, you know, it's making plays. The Falcons picked up a player in Marvin Hall, uh, and I've been pushing for the last couple of months to get more of that with Marvin Hall, who can be that vertical speed threat. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen enough of him. So, uh, you know, time, the clock is ticking on, on whether or not we're going to see this Falcons offense really open itself up and, and be this more explosive offense. But I think they've been limited in a lot of ways because of their concerns about the protection, and it really hasn't you know, those concerns are legitimate because it hasn't necessarily held up at all, uh, particularly over the last you know month or so of the season. You mentioned Alameda Zacchaeus, one of my favorite players I, I scouted out of Virginia, not a big name or anything like that, but he was a joy to watch. And I'm glad to see him getting an opportunity down there in Atlanta. Let's do talk about the defense. And before I ask you about the struggles, let's do acknowledge AJ Terrell, who's having a phenomenal season, a breakout star in the NFL this year. I'll uh, go ahead and say it. He's a Pro Bowl snub. Absolutely deserved to be in there over a guy in that division in Marshawn Lattimore who has given up uh, a ton of touchdowns and a ton of production. Terrell's not giving up anything, and he is a, a budding star, and I, I can't wait to watch that matchup against Stephon Diggs, and they got a good one down there. He's a player that I really enjoyed out of Clemson. Now, the rest of the defense has really been a, a disappointment, and, and Dean Pease, we know he's been one of the top defensive coordinators in the game for a long time, some really great defenses with the Patriots, with Baltimore, of course, uh, at, with Tennessee, and now he's in Atlanta, and and this doesn't look like a Dean Pease defense in terms of where they typically rank with metrics. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback, and they're not getting any pressure. They're, they're the least, uh, the lowest in the NFL in terms of pressure rate, the fewest sacks, the fewest 
percent of dropbacks that end in a sack, the, the third downs, they're, they're not getting stops on third downs. And like we talked about the schedule, this, this blew my mind. I mean, we talked about that schedule, not a lot of great quarterbacks on the schedule and they're conceding a passer rating of a hundred point three against this defense. And so what, what's going on here? I know they're under man. There's it's a work in progress, but I, I, I'm surprised to see it being this poor. Yeah, I think their their biggest issue is, as you mentioned, their inability to get pressure on the quarterback. And, and that's allowing even lesser quarterbacks to be relatively efficient. You know, Tim Boyle didn't have a great game this past week, but he had a good enough game to have that Lions team in a position, you know, going into the basically the, the final play of the game, you know, before he threw a, a game ceiling interception uh, to potentially win that game. And, and Tim Boyle, no offense to him, is not necessarily a high level quarterback. And a lot of that is owed to the fact that the Falcons really could not get reliable pressure on him. They haven't really been able to get reliable pressure on anybody else. So guys basically have all day to sit back there and, and throw the football. Uh, and when we've seen this Falcon team go up against, you know, receiving cores that have, uh, you know, Playmakers across the board, like Dallas, like Tampa Bay, they have really struggled. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how they fare against this Bills uh, receiver room, particularly, you know, with Stefan Diggs. Uh, you know, Cole Beasley's back now off the COVID list. And, uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is not necessarily having the production that he had earlier in the season, but certainly a guy uh, that can make a number of plays. And that's going to be difficult for the Falcons in this particular matchup, uh, uh, given that, you know, they may be without their other starting cornerback and Fabian Moreau is dealing with a rib injury and they're potentially down their main nickel cornerback and Richie Grant, who's now on the COVID list, uh, their second round pick. So it's going to be a difficult matchup for the Falcons on the back end. And the other factor that hurts this defense is they haven't really been that effective at stopping the run. So it's really been hard for the Falcons to make teams play a different style of offense than what they want to do. If a team wants to come in here and run the football down the Falcons throat, by and large, most for the most part this season, outside of a handful of games, they teams have been successfully able to do that. And if a team basically wants to drop back, you know, 40, 50 times and, and pitch it all around the yard because the Falcons can't get pressure on the quarterback, they teams can generally be able to do that. We saw Tampa Bay do that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so it, it's been a work in progress for this defense. They're going to have to work to get more talent, particularly up front and, and particularly on the back end um, to really make this defense work for Dean Pease moving forward. But, uh, you know, I think there has been strides made over the last four to six weeks. Um, you're seeing a little bit of improvement. So that's at least owing that, you know, this team is is growing under Dean Pease, and the, the hope is that that's something that can carry over in 2022. Obviously, a big shift in scheme, like the style of defense that Dan Quinn ran compared to what we're seeing from Dean Pease. So, uh, big shift there for the Falcons' defense compared to what we've seen over the last several years. Last one I have for you. I mean, this is a tough assignment for Atlanta. 14.5-point road underdogs uh, coming to Buffalo. It's going to be chilly. It's going to be potentially windy, maybe even some snow in the forecast. What's the path? Like if Atlanta is going to come in and, and steal one, what has to go right? What, what are those X factors? Well, I don't think weather is going to play into the Falcons favor because they're, you know, they're a classic dome team. Um, and they're not necessarily a team known for that sort of physical element that can do what the Patriots did a couple of weeks against his bills and just pound the ball down their throat, although, that, again, I think that's what Arthur Smith would love to want to do, but they haven't necessarily been that team. So I think really what the thing that plays for the Falcons' favor is that they're going to have to get to a fast start this season. They haven't consistently done that. 
They only scored one opening drive touchdown all season long, and it came a couple of weeks ago against the Bills. They're really good at getting field goals, but they need to come out here and really punch this Bills team in the mouth early on. And then I think you kind of got to get a lot of help from the Bills. You got to get Josh Allen being the bad version of Josh Allen, where he's being a little reckless and playing fast and loose and throwing, you know, trying to make throws that his arm talent can make, but he probably shouldn't make. You need that for Josh Allen. You need kind of what he did a little bit against the Colts team a little bit earlier in the season. You need a kind of a bad performance like you saw a little bit from him in that Jacksonville game uh, to really help. I, I think if the Falcons probably won't be able to outplay the Bills for four quarters, they can probably get him for two. And if those quarters are like the first quarter and the fourth quarter, I think the Falcons may have a chance here uh, to to be in a position and force the Bills to have to play from behind, uh, you know, after a fast start, get some turnovers, maybe get a special teams uh, impact play from Cordero Patterson uh, in, in terms of the kickoff game. He hasn't scored one yet, and maybe this is the week that he gets one. So I, I think a lot of things have to go in the Falcons' favor. They basically have to play up to their potential, which they haven't consistently done this season. But if they can do that, get off to a fast start, uh, hold on for dear life for the next couple of quarters, and then make a couple of plays in the fourth quarter, maybe they got a shot uh, to overcome this big spread. So we're continuing crossover Thursday here with myself, Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons and Joe Marino uh, of Locked On Bills. And Joe, we're talking about this week 17 matchup it's still weird saying that given uh the 17 game schedule um but you know to be honest with you while i expect and hope this falcon team will be competitive my interest in this bills team is not necessarily in terms of where they're going to be this sunday it's going to be where they're potentially going to be in january and possibly in february and it's reminiscent to the crossover i did with the Locked On Chiefs guys in the penultimate game last year, asking them questions about what they feel about this Bills team uh, moving forward, or that Chiefs team in terms of their Super Bowl capability. So my first question to you, Joe, is, you know, I, I, I understand that this is a win in the Bills clinch a playoff berth. Is that correct? It's close. If they win and Baltimore loses, that's the easiest path to clinching a playoff spot. And there's you know, a lot of other different scenarios, but it's certainly a possibility for this week. Okay. Um, and if they wind up clinching, obviously they have the goal of, of being a team that can go toe to toe with this chiefs team. That's kind of how they've built their team. I'm curious looking at this bills team. And I asked a similar question to the chiefs guys a year ago, looking at that offensive line and struggles that they were dealing with. Do you feel like this offensive line is potentially an Achilles heel to prevent the bills from reaching their goals, you know, which is beyond this week and into January. Well, I, I don't think you look at the bills offensive line and say it's one of the best units in the game. It's probably an average unit and they've had a lot of issues in terms of health guys getting injured, COVID issues, guys moving around. I mean, last week when Ike Bucker, their left guard got injured, he, he ruptured his Achilles they switched four different spots. I mean, it's been that type of year where guys are flopping around like crazy. And I think that's hurt them from being able to gel as a unit. We know offensive lines all about chemistry and playing together as one unit. And so it's hard to do when guys are moving around so much. And so I think that's really inhibited their ability to grow as an offensive line. But I think if they can be average, you know, I think that's what they're looking for. They're coming off their best performance of the year against New England. Uh, which was very unexpected given the dynamics that we just discussed. Uh, but if they like this group, 
that finish that game, you know, that could be something for them to build on and and carry them. So we're not talking about one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. We're not talking about one of the worst. I think they're average, and average is probably okay given where this team is on defense and what they have at quarterback. Now, you you talk about what they have at quarterback. Josh Allen's been, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the league this year. Uh, you know, he had an MVP type of season a year ago. I kind of expected a little bit of regression from him this season. I, I think technically he is not as good as he was a year ago, but still uh, one of the top quarterbacks, one of the top five to six quarterbacks in the league this year. So certainly not any type of regression that is really hurting this team. Uh, one of the things I noticed about the Bills a year ago was they tend to be very reliant on Josh Allen's arm to really put up their offense. Are they a little bit more of a balanced offense this year? And, you know, I see a lot of their rushing production comes from Allen running himself. Do you think that's a concern for this team moving forward? And as it applies to this Falcon game, do you expect this Bills team to come out here and, and sling it all around the yard or, you know, maybe whether permitting they tend to be a little bit more conservative and try to to you know play a little bit more of a run first or balanced offensive attack on Sunday. Well yeah, Josh Allen's having another good season became the uh, first quarterback in NFL history last week to top 4000 yards passing in a season, 30 passing touchdowns and 600 rushing yards and so uh the production just continues to be there for Josh Allen and you know it's going to be interesting to see how they attack this game because They've been choosy when they run Josh Allen. Obviously, the production's there. He leads the NFL in yards per rush, and so he takes advantage of his opportunities. But there's been games this year where it hasn't been a big part of the game plan, and so my thought is with all of the receivers coming back, they're going to have the full complement in Steph Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis and, of course, Isaiah McKenzie, who was unbelievable against the Patriots last week. Dawson Knox at tight ends really emerged. They've gotten the running backs involved in the passing game more of late. I'm guessing this is going to be the type of game that they're going to rely on Josh Allen to throw the football a lot more than run it in terms of kind of preserving some of those hits. Now, if if a play needs to be made running the football, Josh Allen's going to do it, right? He's going to put the ball in his hands. He's going to put it on the line, and he's going to try to make a play. So that will still be there, but I go back to the game I watched against Carolina where it was a lot more reluctance to run Josh Allen. There really wasn't any design runs and just let him throw the football. I think that's what we're going to see this week, um, but we've seen the Bills tap into that running ability of Josh Allen when they need to. Um, not as many designed runs as you may expect. It's a lot of picking his spots to take off of the football on, on dropbacks, but you know, they certainly have that wrinkle of the QB power game, and it's pretty effective whenever they tap into it. Yeah, the Falcons have not been particularly great defending mobile quarterbacks this season. They've gotten a lot of practice uh, going up <laughs> against guys like Cam Newton and Jalen Hurts and, and several others. I mean, Daniel Jones, yeah. you know, made some plays. Sam Darnold made some plays against them. So that that's telling you that those guys aren't quite on the Josh Allen level. So hopefully they have taken all of what they've learned by getting gashed by you know, the Sam Darnolds of the world, and they will apply it this Sunday to slow down Josh Allen when he does decide to tuck it and run. But we'll just sort of have to see how that plays. Switching to the Bills defense, um, you know, the thing I notice is that they're not a team that gets a ton of sacks, but they tend to get a lot of pressure and it doesn't seem they have one guy. It's, it's, you know, four or five, six guys deep that can really step in and really give them a deep 
rotation of players. Obviously, the offensive line, as we discussed, is an Achilles heel for the Falcons. Looking at this Bills defense, do you feel like this pass rush is going to be the unit that it not only needs, you know, obviously on Sunday to take advantage of a weak Falcons offensive line, but when they get into January, is this going to be a defense that can be spearheaded by a, a top-notch pass rush? The pass rush in Buffalo is so interesting because you mentioned they're really good at getting pressure, the number one pressure rate in the NFL in terms of passing attempts that they face and getting pressure on the quarterback, but they don't necessarily get a lot of sacks. They're pretty middle of the pack when it comes to sacks, and so it's this really unique scheme that they run. They rotate a ton of defensive linemen, like you mentioned. They'll play nine, ten guys, uh, you know, 20-plus percent of the snaps, and, and they always have fresh bodies in there. And you know, it's really a scheme thing. It's what the defense is designed to do. We love sacks. They matter a ton, but pressure matters a lot as well. I mean, it really affects quarterback play. You can get pressure and it leads to incompletions. That's a good play. Pressure that leads to a turnover. The Bills are very good at that. And so it's interesting because the pressure that they get doesn't always lead to a sack, but it does lead to a lot of incompletions. It does lead to uh, turnovers. And those are two things that are, are real strengths of this Bills defense. And so it's a unique situation because you normally measure the effectiveness of a pass rush by how many sacks they get. And I think the Bills numbers tell a completely different story. Now, when you talk about how it's going to impact the team moving forward, I think that the Bills would love to have a true difference maker, a guy that, all right, it's a long and late down. You got to have it, you know, a Miles Garrett, a Bosa, uh, somebody that can just absolutely take over a football game. They don't have that guy. Maybe Ed Oliver can be that. Maybe Greg Rousseau, some of these other defensive ends they've drafted recently with day two picks, like maybe, but they don't have that player right now. And so they kind of have to settle for the pressure and what the results of that are, but they're certainly missing that true game wrecker as part of that very deep and, and talented defensive line rotation, but missing that elite superstar take over a game, change the way you have to play them type of guy. Now, when I ask you about this Bills defense, is there a weakness that you're sitting here going yourself as you're more familiar with this Bills team that you're a little worried about in this Falcons matchup that maybe the Falcons can exploit? You know, how do they deal against a, a player like Kyle Pitts? Is there, you know, something that is a weakness in this Bills defense that the Falcons can exploit? It's funny you mentioned Kyle Pitts. If we call him a tight end, uh, is, he a, is he a slot? It's such an interesting conversation because the Bills are the second Number two in the NFL in terms of fewest receptions allowed to tight ends this year. But if we are we calling Kyle Pitts a tight end, you know, I mean, I think I think that's kind of where that gets complicated because he's such a mismatch. And I mean, there's no easy answer on how they're going to defend him. I, I don't care who you have. I mean, Jeremy Chin might be the guy in the NFL that has the best chance of lining up against him, and he plays for Carolina. So um I'll be interested in seeing how the Bills match up with him. It'll be a lot of Matt Milano. I'm sure they'll want to bracket him with their really good safeties, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Um, Taron Johnson, their slot corner, is probably going to get a lot of reps against him. So it'll be an all-of-the-above type thing. We've seen them when they went up against DK Metcalf a few years ago, and um, they they used Saran Neal, who's this big nickel-type defender special teamer. They just had him jam him on the line of scrimmage and then play another player over top of him. They've gotten creative when they've had to go up against these unicorns. So I'll be interested in see how they how they handle him. But as far as a weakness with the Bills' defense, it's definitely the run defense. They give up yards on the ground. They've had some games this year where um, against the Colts, you, you go back to the Patriots game. There's been a few games this year where the run defense has really let them down. And the Bills have a tendency to 
not necessarily get blown off the ball. It's just they overrun plays a lot of times. And when you talk about a dynamic talent like Cordero Patterson and what he can do with cutback opportunities and how this guy sees the field, yeah, I mean, that's something that that should definitely make the Bills' defense nervous and something that they'll have to account for. And so sometimes that defense will split. They're, they're, they're known to give up some explosive runs. And so if I'm Atlanta, I'm going to really tap into that and stress how they're going to choose to defend Kyle Pitts and see if you can work those two things together. you got a good veteran quarterback and Matt Ryan that, you know, for all the pressure he's faced this year, he's handling it pretty well, you know, just based on what he is as a quarterback, not a very mobile guy, but, you know, not a guy that his pressure rates, and you look at those split splits compared to when he's pressured versus when he's kept clean. I mean, he holds his own. And so you kind of tap into that. Just don't beat yourself. Stay committed to the run game. Tap into those unicorns and Patterson and 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 Pitts and and see if you can stress a really good Bills defense. But um, if there's something that the Bills struggle with, it is giving up those explosive plays on the ground. Yeah, I think that's going to be potentially a formula for the Falcons, given the concerns that they have with their ability to protect Matt Ryan. And so if they can run the football effectively, that's going to be a way that they can sort of mitigate that uh, moving forward. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, you know, I I don't have a, a ton of confidence given where the Falcons have been against some of these better teams. But, you know, as, as you know, Joe, any given Sunday, this could be the week where it all comes together for the Falcons. Uh, and they really come out here and, and surprise me, at least, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily you uh, and, and play at a really high level. And we'll see what happens on Sunday in this week 16 matchup between the Falcons and Bills. That's going to do it for us here on Crossover Thursday. And as we always do, have recommendations for your second listen because we love it when you make uh, Locked on Bills and Locked on Falcons your first listen. And of course, one of those recommendations is the Locked on Bets podcast to get you guys geared up if you feel a certain type of way about this 14 and a half point spread. Handicapping expert Lee Sterling on the Locked on Bets podcast may have some advice for you for this Bills matchup as well as mini matchups in the bowl season as well as the upcoming Sunday game. So check out the Locked on Bets podcast free and available on the same platforms that you find Locked on Bills and Locked on Falcons.